good to see you here tonight. Um, we're going to throw the text up there in a moment, and we have some runners, and uh, so hopefully we can have a little bit of discussion before we dig a little bit deeper into this. So, in fact, um, let's advance the slide, and we'll just look at our entire text there. You have God's Word, and uh, but it's also up there for you at the same time. So we'll open in a word of prayer after our brief time of discussion. But um, let's, let's walk through just some observations, thoughts, maybe some applications, things that made you think about your own heart. Anything stand out or speak to you this morning as we studied this text on God's law being written on our heart and not just being an outward manifestation? Any, any thoughts? or observations, or anything that stood out. Yes, we have uh, right here, Jan, right? I nailed it, huh? Don't expect that ever again, <laughs> all right? From your message this morning, um, I got to thinking about it a little bit more, and I saw that there were two groups of people that Paul was speaking to, uh, the Jews, who were learned, learned in the law, who practiced the law, who obeyed the law, who believed the law, but they weren't saved. Then you have the Gentiles who didn't know the law, and they seem to use that as an excuse for their actions. While the Jews seem to use the knowledge of their law as an excuse for their actions or, or lack of. Um, I can't explain it exactly how I want to explain it, but it seems like they both had their excuses depending on what, <laughs> what group you were at. But anyway, it appeared too that Paul was um, a little more harsher toward the Jews than he was the Gentiles. But it seems to me that no matter how much you know about the law or about the Bible or about, <clears throat> excuse me, about anything like that, um, and that your pious, piety or your morality, or your, you know, standing on a ledge and showing off how good you are to other people, uh, it doesn't matter how smart you are, but even the Gentiles, they had their own laws within themselves. They had their thoughts, they had their heart, uh, and they went against that as well. So from what I got, and correct me if I'm wrong, God judged both of these people equally because even though the, the Jews had the law, and they knew that, and they knew what was right and wrong, they followed it, they weren't saved. But yet, on the other hand, the Gentiles had their unwritten law inside their hearts and in their minds, and they didn't follow that, so they were judged equally. So, you know, to me, the, and, and God shows no impartiality in that sense. So both were unsaved. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, God's judgment is impartial, and it will be based on our works, um, specifically with unsaved, it, through our rejection of Jesus Christ. You brought up a really good point in there in that 
it seems like the Jews are being um, hit a little bit more hard, a little bit more harshly. And there's a truth to that, in that the more truth, the more light that, we, that is revealed to us, the, the more we open ourselves up for judgment, the more we open ourselves up for a more severe treatment because we had more privilege than those who didn't. Um, I think even Jesus said in the Gospels, uh, you know, how much more will you be punished? Because you had the light and you rejected it. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Any other thoughts, things that stood out? I see Matt back there. So we'll go Matt and then we'll go Don. Um, so is it Sam? Yes. Sam, will you hit Matt and Dave, you get Don? And um, whoever talks first wins. Go ahead, Don. No, go ahead. You, you really kind of got my mind going this morning. And, you know, in my younger days, if I ever put myself into a New Testament, I thought of myself as one of the disciples, one of the followers of Jesus. As I've gotten a little older and a little more mature, I more often realize I'm a Pharisee. When I read the statement, the name of God is blasphemed, among the Gentiles because of you. You know, God has revealed much to us. He's given us much. It's very easy for me to fall into arrogance because of what God has given me. Mm -hmm. And my religion and the things that I know and understand can become an idol. Mm -hmm. What I have to understand is the more I know and see God, the more I realize how much more I desperately need him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more we realize of his truth, what comes out of us is, who am I? Woe am I? I am done, done. You know, humility. Absolutely. Matt. I was going to piggyback on what she said. You know, the only thing the saved have in common with the lost is the law of the Lord written in our hearts. Um, He went over that, Paul did in Romans, and it comes from his promise out of um, Jeremiah 31. Mm -hmm. So when I read that, I always think he's maybe trying to prick their hearts from being back to remembrance because we have conscience with knowledge of what sin is God's putting in us. And I like the point you made earlier during the sermon. I think of um, in Numbers 21 where God had Moses make the bronze serpent. Then in Second Kings 18, he, Hezekiah had it destroyed because it became an idol. And what's the idols in our lives that we're worshiping maybe more than God? Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Anyone else? Observations, applications, things that, that stood out to you? I see Luke over there. I was just going to say, as we exhort one another, as Paul is exhorting the Jews here, I'm reminded that Christ is the only one who could speak with authority. Yeah. And yet Paul, while he's obviously a mighty saint doing this work, he does not speak on his own authority when he exhorts the Jews. Because he says, as it is written. So he uses the law to judge them, which is the only thing that they, I think, rightly could be exhorted by. And so therefore, we must follow in that practice. When we ever exhort one another, be willing to let the law exhort ourselves as well. We use it as the authority to help correct one another. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. All said. Anyone else? We have Paul over here. Got in there. Anyone going after Paul? We'll stack you up here. Okay, we got Sanjan, Buckeye fan. He gets 30 seconds, cut the mic off. Paul, you're up. 
Yeah, I was just thinking it's, um, he's addressing the Gentiles who are just like the heathen, you might say, of his day. And he's also ad- addressing the Jews who are like the religious folks of the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's the religious folks that have a hard time coming to the Lord. They think they're okay. Mm-hmm. And they've got this religious stuff going on. I'm following these practices. I'm doing these things. I must be okay. I guess I'm all right. I'm, following, I'm doing that. But in reality, they're just as lost. And we discovered that, too, when we were in Mexico. Man, there's a lot of religious people there. They need the Lord just as much as those who didn't care about the church. They were just heathens, you know. Mm-hmm. And, but they're the harder ones to reach mm-hmm. because they think they're okay. They've got this form of godliness, but it's really not the truth. Yeah. And that's just a good reminder to me. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to see people in our lives, we're gonna bump into them during the week. Some are just so far from the Lord, it didn't really matter, you know. Others are those who think they're okay. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of those here in town. Yeah. And maybe even here in this church, you know, that we think we're all right. But uh, we got to really, really be careful about that. So, Yeah, it's very difficult to communicate to someone what they need when they think they already have. Right. Absolutely. Excellent point. Um, Sanjan. I'll try to make this quick because I only okay. got 30 Cut seconds. The mic. So. No. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but... It's that uh, <laughs> idols can be good things. Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, Tim Keller, who just, yeah. as many know, had recently passed, a, a sermon I heard from him was that these good things are good things, but if they become the one thing, mm-hmm. that's when it becomes an idol. Mm-hmm. I haven't forgotten that, and I think it's very uh, impactful. Um, you, you mentioned some of those, like children or family or you know, these are good things, but mm-hmm. if they take the place of God, that's when it becomes an idol. Mm-hmm. So I just, uh, that, and these can be subtle, yeah, which is a dangerous thing sometimes. And I think the subtlety is what, to your point, I appreciate that. That's almost always how hypocrisy and, and subtle acts of worship creep into our lives because they're justifiable. They're just, they're explainable. They're good. Excellent point. Anyone else? Yes, we have right here. Dave's coming to you. People online want to hear your voice. Yes, this will go all throughout the entire world. Go ahead. <laughs> no Fine. pressure. Never mind. Um, <laughs> oh, did you forget? Oh, that makes me feel so good because I do the same thing. Did you remember yet? No, I, it reminds me that I have to be careful what I do in front of people who are not saved mm-hmm. at work and wherever mm-hmm. because it does you know that last statement the name of God has blasphemed, blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you and that's mm-hmm. kind of scary mm-hmm. that was just Amen. I forget who and help me if you remember there was a I want to believe a Hindu or a Buddhist very famous who said it is not your Christ that repels me, but the Christians who worship him. Um, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, any, what's that? Like Was it Gandhi? Yeah, okay. Anyone else? Observations, thoughts before we walk into this? Oh, yep, we got Mr. Bowles right over here. That was my dad. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know if you specifically said it, alluded it to, or just come into my mind through your sermon, but it just amazes me continually that 
whether it's the, the sinner, the natural man, or the saint that carries with us still the flesh, the propensity and the fantastic ability to replace God with something, no matter what it is, whether it's truth, love, money, children, church, practice, whatever. It's easy, so human, to replace God with Amen. something. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well said. Thank you, David. Do you like Dave, David, Home Fry? Okay, I know. <laughs> well, he, you know, I, he's, I know he's pretty hip. Um, <laughs> got a laugh out of kids there. Anyone else? Observations, thoughts? Otherwise, we'll walk into this. All right, we have a guest teacher tonight, um, halfway through on the screen, um, but I'll let that be a surprise to you. Let's um, open in a word of prayer, and then we'll kind of unpack and dig this a little bit deeper. Gracious Father, I hope that you would help me to collect my thoughts, to remember my studies. Lord, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher because your word is perfect and so that means I have the ability to mess it up Father help me to be clear because your word is clear Um, thank you for my church family for all that they represent in my life Lord I I love them and I I pray that my my service and my, my love to them and them to me would not be because it's a box we need to check off, but because we love one another. And I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. So let's go ahead and advance the slide. We're just going to bring a little bit more of a summary in here to create some more room. I want you to notice the, how many times we got the law coming up here. The law, the law, the law, the law. Over and over and over again. Now sometimes when you see those words it can be a bit confusing. So let me make this super clear and by super clear I mean about as clear as mud. In the New Testament the word law of God comes up all the time. Is it not written? The law of God, the law of Moses. And it's used in many different ways and you can see the primary ways. It's when you see the word the law, one of the ways it could be the entire Old Testament scriptures, all right? We're talking um, Genesis through Malachi. Or another way to um, maybe describe that is the Torah or the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And then the rest of the Old Testament is unpacked out of that. That could be considered the law of God. We also have here, like we just talked about, the Torah or the Pentateuch, which is you know, the first five books of the Bible. We have the Mosaic Covenant or the Mosaic Law, which inside of that could include a lot of dietary and clothing and cleanliness laws. We also have a high flyover when you see the Word of God, which would be the summary of all of God's expectations, desires, will, precepts, commands. I grew up hearing the word um, God's Law and was really never truly taught that it can have several different meanings. You see four of them up there right now. I grew up never really knowing which one was which, and it caused a lot of confusion in my life. For example, I would hear things like, and see if you can relate to this, I would hear the words in church, on your law do I meditate day and night. And then next Sunday I would hear God fulfilled the law and is no longer for us today. 
The next week I would hear that the law's greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The next week I was told that the, the law and the Pentateuch and the Levitical system and the dietary laws, some which were very strange, are no longer for us today. And then I was told that the Ten Commandments were the summary of the law and that we were to obey them. And I don't know about you, but did anyone else grow up just kind of going, am I odd or I don't know what I'm talking about here? I had that in my life. I'm just, I'm willing to be the dumb person in the room. I'm comfortable, in fact, and you can ask Pastor Joy with that. I start with that often in staff meetings. Allow me to be the dumb one, all right? That is why it's important to distinguish what we mean when we see the words, the law. We always have to ask our, ourselves a question, what, what, what does the writer, in this case Paul, what does he mean when he says those words? Because allow me to make it even more muddy, if I will, if I can. There is a law of God within the law of God. Now, if you're anything like me, you say, great, that really helps, Brett. Allow me to unpack it. It's super muddy. All right, now it's rather clear. I want to give an example of the law of God within the law of God. I want to highlight the Mosaic covenant or the law there that we find in the Old Testament. I want you to think of dietary laws, certain clothing that you could wear, uh, cleanliness rules. We have that there. Ceremonial cleanliness laws that were specifically designed just for Israel to separate them from the nations. If I could summarize it, and I forget which author said this, basically God said whatever you see the nations doing, you can't do that, you have to do this. You see them wearing that clothing, you have to wear this clothing. You see them eating this food, you have to eat this food. And it just separated them from the nations for a few reasons. So that they said, this is God's chosen people and they were a light to, of God to the nations. Amen. All right. But another thing that it did is while they are specifically designed for Israel during that time period, it also separated Israel culturally, spiritually, and ethnically from all the other nations. In fact, it goes so far as to say they weren't even supposed to intermarry with other nations. Now, there's a few reasons why, but I want to just unpack one reason why. In order to separate and protect God's chosen people so that Jesus the Messiah would come from Abraham through the line of David and through the, those, the, the Mosaic law, he was able to preserve and maintain the line in which the Messiah was to come. And then once Jesus is birthed out of the line of David, out of Mary, and, and on all of that, once Jesus came out, that part of the Mosaic law that was designed to separate Israel was done away with. In fact, we see that in the book of Acts when Peter is like, I'm not going to eat any unclean thing. And God says, um, do not call what is unclean what I have called clean. That part of the law is over. There is no need. Jesus fulfilled all of those things. In fact, that is communicate, when that's communicated in Acts to Peter, it's literally talking about the Gentiles now being grafted in as God's people and it's no longer needed. Now, with that in mind, that there is a law within the law, yet there is a law of God that continues, all right? That's what Paul's talking about here in this text, by the way. That law of God is his expressed will, 
his expressed desire, his expressed character, his plan of redemption, which, by the way, redemption is even seen within the Old Testament law. And it was accounted unto Abraham by what? How was he saved? By what? Faith. That continues on. The plan of redemption. The plan of sanctification for his children. If I could just summarize it, the Scriptures lives on. The law lives on. And I want you to grab this. The law, which, by the way, we could never keep perfectly. All of the precepts, all of the commands that are within the heart, none of us could keep it perfectly. In fact, it was a tutor to tell us that we were incapable of it, and we, it drove us to repentance. And it was not the inability to keep it perfectly that damned every individual to hell. So we know this here. Jesus came and fulfilled it perfectly for us. He then took that perfect life and he said, I'm going to offer you my righteousness through faith, dying on the cross and rising again from the grave. I'm going to offer that to you perfectly through faith. Which, by the way, that is why it is said in the New Testament that we are no longer under the law. We are under what? Anyone? Starts with G. uh, Grace. We're not under the law. We're under grace. How are we under grace? Because Jesus came, fulfilled that to perfection, and then in grace looked over at David Bowes and said, this is for you through faith, by grace through faith, you have now been put under grace. And by the way, the New Testament says we're no longer under the law. Clear as mud, right? Hopefully this helps. Jesus accomplished what we could not. There's a simple one. Perfectly fulfilling the law of God. But that does not erase the law of God, i.e., his moral purity, his will, his desire for his children. In fact, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but the what? To fulfill it. And through fulfilling it and offering his righteousness through grace, I want you to grab this. The law is now not on stone tablets. It's written in our hearts. It's written in our hearts. The law exists, but in a very different way for a New Testament believer. The law of God, which is to, by the way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all of the moral purity, the law continues written on our heart under and because of the grace of Jesus. That's kind of what Paul's condemning here in this text. He says that you know the law of God, but in your heart you willingly break the law of God. How can you willingly break the law of God, which is supposed to be written in your heart, which salvation writes in your heart through the Holy Spirit, how can you break it in your heart and say that you know Jesus Christ? How often we do this? How often do we do this in the church today? I'm just going to be transparent with you. I did that all of my childhood, teenage, and young adult life. There was not a single box that I didn't check off. Not a single box. Everyone who looked at me, this is not going to be boastful time, believe me. This will boomerang around, okay? This is going to take a little bit. They would say, what a nice young man. Never prayed. No desire. Hated church. I I endured it. No walk with Christ. Nothing in the heart. His law wasn't written in my heart. It wasn't a desire. Your special teacher tonight is John Piper. John Piper is going to explain this much better 
than I can. So this is a four-minute clip, and I'm going to ask that we drop the lights up front, and for the next four minutes, he's going to unpack a little bit what this means, and then I'm going to follow and maybe try to explain what he tried to mean. No, I'm teasing. But I hope you can enjoy this. Let's and, and listen closely because he really unpacks this well. So, thank you. John, are Christians under the Ten Commandments? No. The Bible says we're not under the law. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm loving uh, Romans 7, 4, 5, and 6. Uh, the analogy is you were married... And you better stay married because if you leave this husband and go marry another, you're going to be called an adulteress. But if he dies, then you can go and remarry. And then he draws the analogy out, a little bit complex the way he draws it out, and says, so we've died to the law. You're not married anymore. You can have another husband, namely Christ. He's raised from the dead. So the approach towards ethics is different. You don't, you don't ask the question, am I under the law? We're under grace. Law is fulfilled perfectly by Jesus. We're in Jesus, and God is looking, as far as justification goes, final, my being 100% for you is settled. You've trusted my son. You've been grafted into him. You are in Christ Jesus. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He covered all your sins. God sees you in and through him. Therefore, as far as final judgment goes, and God being 100% for you is settled, and nothing's going to change it. Now, shall we sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, dead men don't sin. If you died to the law, how can you still... If you died to sin, how can you still live in it? Meaning, new birth is the writing of the law on the heart so that we're not under it, it's under us. It's just coming out. It's coming out. So that the way we strive towards being obedient, holy, loving people is not by getting up in the morning pulling the list out of our pocket here and saying, okay, there's the list. I'm off to do them. No, we get on our knees, we, we open ourselves to the whole counsel of God in the Bible, we saturate and shape ourselves by everything He's done, is doing, will do, we stake our lives in the gospel, and then instead of uh, serving the law, we serve one another in love. Love is the fruit of faith in Jesus. Faith working through love. And if you ask, what does love look like? First John says it keeps the commandments. <laughs> which kind of brings us back to, oh, which commandments? And I'm saying, well, the ones that are loving. So I, I love God and do as you please is not bad advice if you're bent on holiness, if you're bent on love. The law, the Ten Commandments are really important. You should hang them on your wall and you should uh, measure your life by them, but in a very, very different way than when you were under them because they have been kept for you. You are now uh, married 
to the risen Christ, not married to the law, and not in the oldness of the letter, but the newness of the Spirit. Our whole approach towards transformation and love and life is different than list-keeping. A simple question that comes to my mind as that boomerangs at me is, is the law of God written in your heart? Do you find desiring Him, (laughs) desiring God, that's a, a good capstone there. Do you find yourself desiring God? Or is it just a code of ethics you must maintain? When you see the words law of God or the law, the first thing we have to ask ourselves is this question. What part, type of the law is this passage talking about? We must be careful not to carelessly lump them in all together and then willy-nilly make errors in our application. When you see here in this text the law of God, I want you to think this. All that God has, all of God's written word at the time of Moses, prophets, wisdom, everything. His expressed will, his revealed character, his plan of salvation, his blessings, his warnings, God's revelation should come from and out of inside of us. I want to transition here. I want to start out by looking real quick at spiritual privileges. And Don, you brought this up, and how wonderful they can be. How wonderful they can be. But if we're not careful, they can delude us and cause hypocrisy in our lives. Very subtle forms of hypocrisy. Maybe as we unpack this, we can ask ourselves, do we see any of this in our lives? He says this, you call yourselves a Jew. First thing we need to understand is that not by any means, this is not an anti-Semitic attack on the Jewish people. Now, you know that, being in the church and being under God's word for a long time. But for someone who hears this for the very first time, they might think, yeah, that's kind of strong. Paul himself is a Jew and he loves them dearly. Love often requires specific and difficult communication in order to bring the greatest good out for those who you love. There are times when someone will say, you know, I want you to call me or say this or or respect this about my the choice of my life. And sometimes I have to say, Because I love you, I will not participate in that which destroys you. That's what Paul's getting at here. In fact, Paul loved his fellow Jewish people. Tell me if you love people this much. I'm going to tell you, I fall short of this. Romans chapter 9, 1 through 3, Paul loves the Jewish people so much, he said that he would be willing to go to hell on their behalf if they would just find Jesus Christ. That is far from attacking them. Now, the truth of the matter is, the more we read about the Jewish people then, and Paul, you brought this up, The more we read about the Jewish people then in the church, the more we can't help but see ourselves today. In fact, he says, you call yourself a Jew. They misapplied how they should feel about being the elect of God. If you, if we, get a big head because we are the chosen ones, if you will, we miss the whole point. God chose us in spite of our sin. He chose us in spite of our problems. And this should humble us and cause us to glorify God in His, and I think we already have it up there, in His mercy and grace and not look down on one another. In fact, he says this, you boast 
in God. The hypocritical heart will often boast in God. And you would say, well, that, that's not a bad thing. 1 Corinthians 1 says, if you boast in anything, boast in God. But how many, you and I both know that this is not always the case in our hearts, especially a hypocritical heart. They boast in God not to honor God, but to honor themselves. Have you ever seen this in anyone? I've seen it in the mirror. I've seen it in the mirror. Where Christ is being used as a means to promote ourselves. We have to stop that. And he says this, knowing his will and distinguishing things that matter. This is another great privilege that we have. But how often is it used for the wrong reasons? Distinguishing the things that matter, his will. Biblical and theological knowledge is a good thing. Biblical and theological knowledge is a good thing. In fact, the reason it's good is it helps us to know God better. It helps us to know God better. But how often does that knowledge, what does knowledge do? What does knowledge do? Puffs up. How often does that knowledge of God in God's word, used as a weapon, a weapon to simply keep control in our in our families in our church. Let me just get to the point. The goal of knowing God's word and doctrine is not so that we can win an argument. It's not so that we can impress people or control those around us. I had a seminary student come up to me not too long ago, and I literally can't even repeat the theological words that he said to me. It's been a while since I've been in seminary. Is Paul Lembeck in here? Paul? Yes. Maybe Paul could, could understand these because him and I exchange emails, and I get done with your emails, and I go, I'm not worthy to talk with this guy. He knows so much. I had a seminary student come up to me and goes, Oh, what a wonderful unpacking of the... Paul, what's a... give me a really good theological word. What do you got? Take your time. Okay. It was even more complicated than that. But Paul will use that. He's like, oh, what a great unpacking of the predestination in relation to the unilapsarian classical dispensational approach to the proto-evangelum. And I just looked at the young man. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, well, I'm talking about being saved by grace. And I said, say that. That I can follow. What's all these big words? I read an article not too long ago about the character of God. It was full of words that were larger than I could spell. That's not that large, by the way. Those who do my notes back there know that. It was full of words that were larger than it needed to be. And while I understood each word that was in front of me, when they were put together, I lost how they fit together. And finally, I got done reading it. And a friend of mine said, what do you think of the article? And I said, well, I understand each and every word, but I don't understand what all, them all together is trying to communicate. I said, what I, what I really got from this is I feel like this article is primarily for the purpose of oppressing me with this person's knowledge more than it is to teach me about God. And in his desire to impress me with his knowledge, puff up, I lost sight of God. I couldn't find it in the text anymore. By the way, the number one culprit of this is, is pastors. We have to be careful as well not to use knowledge to impress rather than knowing God. Here's my point. 
The goal of theology is not to make you look good. In fact, theology, if properly applied, will make you look what, Paul? Like you really need help. The goal of theology and Bible knowledge should humble our hearts before God, should lead us to worship Him and obey Him more thoroughly, not to impress others. I want to stay on the subject of knowing God's will. I'm going to wrap up real quick here for just a moment. I want to stay on this. It says here, being instructed from the law, right there in the red, being instructed in the law. There is a danger in our lives, especially, and I know I say this a lot, but I don't apologize for it. Grand Rapids is a very difficult place to minister into. All right? Everyone's either saved or has rejected the gospel. And I know that's speaking in hyperbole, but you know, understand what I'm saying there. There is a danger, especially within the Grand Rapids area, where there is a church in every corner and a seminary in between. Can I get a witness there? People are like, what's it like to minister in Grand Rapids? I'm like, it's, it's nail-bitingly horrible because I'm the least educated man in the room and woman. You know, it's, it's not uncommon to, to look in any section and see someone with a Master's of Divinity or a Ph.D. in this or, or whatever the case may be. Paul, you, you speak what? You teach in Greek and Hebrew? I don't even know why you come to this church, all right? No, I'm joking. You understand what I'm saying there. There's a church in every corner and a seminary in between. It's like a cross of shadows between the, the, the institutions. The problem with that is we begin to think that knowing equals having. Knowing equals having. Because we know the Bible. And because we can find a verse on any subject, that is spiritual maturity that pleases God. And, and Paul says to the, the moral abiding church attending Jew, God is not impressed by how much doctrine we know. What does please God is when doctrine produces new life. When doctrine produces new life. Doctrine in action from the heart is maturity. I want to say this clearly, and I want, to, want you to hold it up to your life, and I'm going to hold it up to mine as well. Hypocrisy moves the spiritual focus from the inward to the outward. From the inward to the outward. From humble obedience to empty outward formality. Hypocrisy and spiritual deception can be a tricky thing. So how do we avoid being a hypocrite in the church where... We are just surrounded by so many privileges. I want to give just two suggestions that I found in my studies this week, and I just want to share them with you. I'm not going to put them up on the screen. I'm just going to read them. Number one, how do we avoid hypocrisy? Meet with God in His Word. Not to check it off the list. Not to say, I've done my duty and get it done. But meet with Him in your heart. Because His law should be written there. Confess your sins, seek his strength, pursue his pleasure. And number two, and this is specifically inside the church, cultivate humility and honesty with others. Cultivate honesty and humility with others. Don't try and impress people with how amazing you are. Let them know you're weak, but he is strong. I'll say that again. It's okay to let people know you are weak, but he is strong. I did that this week. 
I met with some of my friends and mentors. And I said, I need help. I sense unhealth in my life. And I am weak. And I need your help. It's humbling, but it's necessary. God is, God is strong. It's okay to acknowledge you are weak. So we're going to peel this all back here. We're just going to allow the pure text to speak for itself. And so we're going to peel this back. That's a subtle hint. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to peel... There it is, all right. <laughs> what time is it? All right, this won't be long. If you call yourself a Christian, young people, you've been in church since the day you can remember, parents too. You call yourself a Jew and rely upon the law and you boast in God of all these privileges that you know as will. And you can even distinguish the things that matter. In fact, not only the things that matter, you, you distinguish not only between good and evil, you distinguish between good and best. You're instructed from the law. You know his will, his desire. And are confident that you yourself, <laughs> you got it so far together, Paul, that, that you, you, you are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, a, a, a corrector of the foolish things that would tie up to verse 18, a teacher to the immature, possessing the, the law of God, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You, therefore, who teach everyone else. And you can see this question here. Does that teaching ever come back to you? You who preach don't steal. Do you, feel, do you find ways to mismanage God's money with soft idols? You who say don't commit adultery, what's your mind and your heart look like? How many divorce certificates have you given, Jews? How many websites have you visited, child of God? You say you loathe idols and that you shouldn't worship idols, but how many subtle idols are you worshiping in your life, robbing the temple of God's glory? You who boast in the law. <laughs> in fact, that's becoming an idol of itself. It's taken its place. But in your heart, you're still breaking it. Your outward appearance, even though it looks good, because it's not in your heart, it dishonors God. And because you dishonor God, the name of God is is ripped through the mud among the un unsaved because you're nothing like what you say you are. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you actually practice the law. But if you are a violator of, of the Scriptures, your outward appearance has turned to nothing. So if the uncircumcised man who has a moral code written in his heart keeps that moral code... Will his no outward appearance of the law, will it not be regarded as following the law? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not, well, this would be insulting, wouldn't it, to, to the Jewish community? Will he not judge you, who through the letter of the law and the circumcision are a violator of it? For he is not a Christian who is just one outwardly. Just because you're, you, you have the veneer of shiny, happy people, nor is circumcision that which is outward on the flesh. It's in the heart. 
That law is not supposed to be on your flesh. It's supposed to be in your heart. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. The law is written in his heart. And circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit. It's not by checking out the boxes. And his praise is not about what do people think, but what does God think. Gracious Heavenly Father, dismiss us with your blessing. May your word renew our minds. Thank you for showing us how deceptive sin is. May we have the spiritual integrity to acknowledge it in our own lives. Father, we need your gospel every day. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed.